You're listening to Rocks Across the Pond, the curling podcast that goes around the globe looking for the best stories in the world's coolest sport. We have curling news and views for everyone, whether you're playing in your Thursday league or following your favorite teams on tour. Now here are your hosts, Ryan McGee and our professor of Peel, Jonathan Havercroft. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Rocks Across the Pond. It's a curling podcast coming to you from Richmond, Virginia. My name is Ryan McGee, and joining me in Southampton, England, is our professor of Peel, Jonathan Havercroft. If you haven't already, please, if you're new to curling, please go listen to our Welcome to Curling series, where we go over the rules and gameplay, we go over strategy and jargon. We give you all you need to know going into these Olympic Games. And now we're going to talk about the teams that are going to be going for gold. And today we are talking about the team in the women's tournament. Jonathan, this is an incredibly stacked field. Yeah, I think this is the toughest women's field ever. And also, I think the hardest field to call. Yeah, exactly. I think there are a ton of teams that could potentially win gold here. There's, I mean, there's there's probably five teams that legitimately could win gold. Yeah, I mean, at least five. At least five. At least five. Uh, and I, yeah, I can make a case for why another two or three, if they got hot at the right time, basically qualified and, and won the two games they needed to, could also kind of end up on the podium. So I, th- I think there's basically two paths to gold here. I agree with that. And so we will break these teams down alphabetically. We'll tell you who these teams are, how they got there, and then we'll tell you whether we think that they are a gold medal contender or if they're more of a dark horse uh, candidate to make the playoffs and potentially medal. So Jonathan, starting alphabetically with Canada, and this is a team skipped by Jennifer Jones. She is, I mean, Jonathan, she's one of the greatest curlers of all time. Yeah, if not the GOAT. She's, uh, if, not a, if she's not a GOAT, if she's not the GOAT, she's a GOAT. Let's put it that way. Yep, and this team is pretty much the same team with one exception that won Olympic gold in 2014. Uh, Jennifer's team got back to the Olympics by winning the Canadian Olympic trials back in November. And she beat Tracy Fleury in the final to become Team Canada. Yeah, it's at the time Tracy Fleury was the highest ranked women's team in the world. And at least on paper, probably the favorite in that matchup. Jennifer Jones has basically dominated Kurt women's curling since the early 2000s. Probably in this cycle has slowed down a bit. Like she missed the playoffs in the Scotties a few years back, which was kind of unheard of for, for Jen Jones before that. But I, I think you're, you know, you, you like in an event like the, the Olympics, there's no substitute for experience this team has won everything there is to win. They've won multiple world championships. Her third, Caitlin Laws, is in her prime. And I'd say all around probably the best player on the planet right now in terms of just technique, team chemistry, knowledge of the game, sweeping, everything she does. She just does everything really well. And 
if Jen Jones is perhaps a little bit of a less sharp shooter than she was in her prime, and I think this it's pretty clear she's kind of taken a bit of a step back there. She's still probably the best strategist in the field, and she's she's still got a good decade of experience over the other top ranked teams in terms of high level high-level curling knowledge. So what she's giving up a little bit in shooting, and it's not much, but at this level, like one or two percentage points can be the difference between winning gold and missing the playoffs altogether. She still, as a strategist, kind of, I think, has a bit of a nod there. Don McEwen has kind of long time been one of the best leads in the game. And uh, their one upgrade from the 2014 team is, I wouldn't say an upgrade, but their one change from the 2014 team is Jocelyn Peterman because uh, their longtime second show officer is retired. Jocelyn Peterman's fantastic curler also. So she's, they, they basically built a franchise here that's, you know, continuously meant to win. And then they added Lisa Weagle, who used to play on kind of Jen Jones's rival, a team Holman, as their fifth. She occasionally appears in games and Lisa Weagle's, basically known as being very proficient at a particular shot called the tick shot, where you kind of nudge the guards around at the beginning of the end. It's a very effective defensive shot. It's often called the Weagle because she's so good at it. So even their bench has like an all-star player on it. And this is a team that since the lineup change has steadily improved when they first had the lineup change, bringing Jocelyn Peterman in, they had a little bit of a struggle, at least compared to what you would expect from Jennifer Jones uh, early on during this Olympic quadrennial. However, they've steadily improved each and every time they've gone out, and that culminated with the win at the Canadian trial. So Jonathan, we have to say that this is a contender, correct? They're definitely a contender and they're peaking at the right time and they're extremely experienced. And so I think they're a very, very dangerous team for sure. Not just a contender, but a few of the other favorites who will go through are probably a little bit afraid to see a Jen Jones rounding into form right as the Olympics are starting. And what can people kind of expect from this team in terms of strategy? She so this team Jones plays I think the most aggressive style of the women's teams out there. She's very comfortable with rocks and play. In fact, she embraces it. Uh, and I think as as her styles change a little bit, as her shootings perhaps dropped off a little bit, she's actually gone to a more aggressive style. As I think she still has a bit of an edge on touch, so she's a bit more of a become a bit more of a finesse player later in her career and a bit less of a power player. So she's, you'll see a lot of stones in play. I think as the Canadian Olympic trials final showed, it can lead to some very wild swings. Team Jones is never out of it. If they're behind, they're fully capable of kind of dropping a three on their opponents. And uh, she'll be quite comfortable upping the degree of difficulty on the shots, first of all, to force misses, but secondly, to force tactical mistakes. So I think they're going to play a really aggressive style of play, which, which is always fun to watch. Up next is China, and this team will be skipped by Han Yu. They are going to be the most unknown commodity in the field because the pandemic has kept this team at home since the 2021 World Championships. And in fact, we did not see very much of them prior to the 2021 World Championships. Uh, Skip Han Yu is, she's young. She keeps getting better uh, and better every time that we do get to see her on a big stage. And her game continues to mature every time we get a chance to see her. Unfortunately, that's been few and far between. 
really all we have to go off of above the junior level is a kind of a surprise win at the 2019 Pacific Asia Curling Championships and then her 6 and 7 record at the 2021 Worlds. We got a chance to talk to her coach Marco Mariani prior to those World Championships in 2021 and he was very impressed with her maturity and the way she is kind of able to keep an even keel uh, throughout games despite her young age and he expects her to eventually be one of the stars of this sport and I can't really argue with him but unfortunately we haven't gotten to see much of this team and I would call them more of a dark horse simply because they haven't really had any competitive games since May of 2021 and they didn't have very many prior to that leading into those worlds. Yeah I think that's the so there's there's two big question marks one and I think this matters in an event like this, is one, they don't have much match experience. And one of the big things that you gain playing matches at a very high level is you learn to deal with different tactical approaches the top teams take. And without having that experience, I think that leaves them vulnerable to basically being caught off guard by the strategies of other teams. But the flip side of that, actually, I think where they have a bit of an advantage is none of the other teams will know what to expect from them. And so I think they could definitely catch one or two of the favorites off guard and pull off upsets throughout the week. The stereotype with, with Chinese teams, they tend to be very technically strong, but perhaps because teams from China don't play as much competitively on the tour, they kind of get exposed a little bit on the strategy side. And so I may, you may, we may wonder a bit here that there certainly are ways you can prepare for strategy without playing much, but I think there's really no substitute for match experience. So that's the big question mark with them. Yeah, Chinese teams are usually based in Canada and play on the World Curling Tour in Canada to prepare for uh, games at the world level. However, this team has not had a chance to do that in almost two years. I think the two things that maybe could be an advantage for them is home ice advantage. We saw that work very well for Korea at Pyeongchang in 2018 when the Korean women's team won silver. The other thing to kind of look at is you know, the Scottish men's team, skipped by Bruce Mowat, they said that during the pandemic, they were able to go from being a great team to a really an elite team because they had time to practice and focus on themselves in place of a busy travel and tournament schedule. And maybe the same could apply here. I don't know. Yeah, it's certainly possible. I, I, I would expect them to pull off one or two upsets. I'd, I'd be surprised if they made the medal round, though. Up next is Denmark, and Denmark is skipped by Madalena Dupont. This team kind of has a knack for pulling upsets. In 2018, they beat heavy favorites Team Canada in the round robin. However, I believe that was their only win in the round robin. Uh, they qualified for the Olympics by finishing fourth at the 2021 World Championship. They have a very experienced skip in Madalena Dupont, and she is at her third Olympics. They also have uh, probably the future of Danish curling at third, and that's Matilda Halsa. I think she, you know, she has not been curling very long, and uh, her level of skill compared to how long she's been curling is really impressive. Interesting thing about Denmark, they are one of the teams that has qualified for every women's tournament at the Olympics, this despite Denmark being kind of a small curling nation. And they did win a silver medal in 1998 at Nagano. 
Yeah, I think Denmark has a reputation internationally for always kind of punching above its weight. So they're not ever going to be the favorites, but they they have had a track record of winning, uh, you know, major tournaments in big moments, right? Or or kind of performing very well, winning silver medals, or, or kind of you know qualifying for playoffs when they're not expected to. So Dupont's very dangerous. But they're also, the flip side, the kind of argument against them is of the teams with the ranking, so China's unranked because they haven't played at all, but of the teams with the ranking, they're the lowest ranked team at this tournament. They're ranked in the, the mid-20s. Uh, they've struggled this year against other teams in the Olympic field. They've posted a 1-5 record to date against Olympic-level teams. Uh, so they're a dangerous team that can upset any of the favorites, as they did against Team Holman back in 2018. But they're probably not strong enough to run through the whole field and win it all. So I put them in the dark horse category. I do as well. And when Jonathan refers to rankings, he's going to be referring to the rankings that Ken Pomeroy does at doubletakeout.com. If you are a college basketball fan, that name might sound familiar. That is the Ken Palm rankings that uh, have been made famous in uh, American college basketball. Uh, Ken is a curler based in Utah, and he has applied a similar ranking system that he uses to college basketball to curling. So those are the rankings Jonathan will be referring to. Up next is Great Britain, and Great Britain will be represented by a team from Scotland, skipped by Eve Muirhead. Um, this is the probably the hottest team coming into the Olympics. Yeah, they definitely are. They've uh, they've won the European Curling Championship, and they also won the Olympic qualification event. And in both events, they just tore through the field. They also have a winning record in matches against Olympic teams this season. Right? So they've actually played really well against their potential opponents here. It's the fourth Olympics for Eve Mirhead, the team skip. And she's looking to improve on her best performance, which was a 2014 bronze medal performance in, in Sochi. Jonathan, based off form, I'm going to call Great Britain a contender for gold. Yeah, I'd say so. So if we go by the, the Ken Palm rankings, they're fifth right now. And... Um, they're really strong, and they've basically had a very good uh, kind of season in terms of form. But the, okay, the question mark about them is this: so prior to this fall season, Team Mir had really struggled this cycle. So they'd finished um, eighth at the 2021 World Curling Championships and failed to qualify for the Olympics there, which sent them to the Olympic qualification event, which is the last chance entry. That would have been a disappointment for British curling. And so because of this disappointment, British curling responded with a very unorthodox approach. They created a squad system where they rotated 10 players to two different teams in early season tournaments before setting on the current lineup just before the European Curling Championships. So most of the other teams in this field have been together four years, eight years. They've had a lot of time to gel. The big question mark here is... Is this team managed to catch lightning in a bottle and found the perfect lineup at the right time? And can they then capitalize on it? Or are they going are they going to hit a rough patch? Like what happens in an Olympic tournament? You're going to have moments of challenge. What happens to that team when they're tested in actual battle, in actual competition? Does that throw them off because their team dynamics not as solid as other teams that have had 
four, six, in some cases, eight years to work out their, their team dynamics and kind of really gel as a unit. So the results have been really impressive to date. But the question is, will they be able to translate this to the Olympic field? And I'll, I'll say this about the skip, Eve Muirhead. After the previous Olympics in Pyeongchang, we missed Eve for about a year uh, because she had hip surgery. And since she's come back from hip surgery, we have seen her form slowly get better and better, getting back to basically the old Eve Muirhead where she was one of the most feared skips on tour. And I think we are we are back to that. And you know, anytime you have a hot skip, you can go really far in a curling tournament when they're making that last shot. So I think that that's where I really think Team GB is dangerous, is they have a skip that is at the top of her game right now. Yeah, absolutely. So I'd say they're a definite contender here, but a little bit of a question mark with the new team lineup. Up next is Team Japan, and this team is skipped by Fujisawa Satsuki, and they were the bronze medalists in 2018. This team also won silver at the 2016 World Championships. This is a strong team. They've been together for a long time. They consistently qualify for Grand Slam events on the World Curling Tour. However, they've never won a major international championship. I might, I, I, I might be surprised if they won gold, but I think that they are definitely a contender, especially coming off a performance four years ago where they, they made it to the playoffs and then actually came through and won bronze. Yeah, I, I think so. I think they're – so like in the Ken, Ken Palm ratings, they're eighth. So you said they've had some good wins this year against other teams in the Olympic field. They're always near the top of the pack in these major events, but they've never, as you said, punched through and won at all. And so the Olympics are kind of a tough place to do that. But we saw we saw four years ago with Team Schuster that you can certainly have your breakthrough moment uh, on the biggest stage too. So a dangerous team, potential contender. I'd say definitely a contender for the playoffs, perhaps not one of the favorites to win a medal though. Yeah, especially they were one of the three teams that came through the last chance Olympic qualification event along with uh, Team Great Britain and Team Korea. So you know, maybe they're not quite as strong as they were four years ago, but they're, they're always near the top. They've just never been the team at the top of the podium at a major event. Up next is Team Korea, skipped by Kim Eun-jung, and this is the best story in the field, far and away to me. I love Team Kim's story, and I am so glad that they are back at the Olympics. As I said, they were one of the final qualifiers to these games coming through the last chance Olympic qualification event held in the Netherlands. This team won silver at the 2018 Olympics and honestly just went through hell really during those games and immediately after after they suffered from corruption and abuse from their curling federation and really had to persevere to return to the top of their game, return to the t- being the top team in their country, and then return to the Olympics. Fortunately, most of the people who did them wrong are now in prison and will never be able to affect another curling team the way that they affected Team Kim. And this is a team that is really worth rooting for. This is a great group of people, and the way that they've persevered uh, really should be admired. Um, I do not know if I would consider them a contender simply because, similar to Team China, 
they haven't had a chance to really play as much on tour as they had previously because of the pandemic. However, the tour events that they did get a chance to play in prior to the Olympic qualification event, they did very well. So they might be peaking at the right time and they may be able to surprise again, just like they did four years ago. Yeah. So they, they actually have a six and six record this season against top 10 teams, which is really good. And they've posted wins against team GB team, Canada, Switzerland, Sweden, and the USA. So they, they can beat the top part of the Olympic field for sure. They've, they've done it this season. The, the big question is they took a long time off, as you said, this cycle. And so they're rounding into form, but will that kind of layoff hold them back from, from kind of peaking in, in Beijing is the big question. And then another th- thing for this team strategically, and if you haven't been following curling since the last Olympics, since the 2018 Olympics, there was kind of a major rule change in curling, and it had to do with the free guard zone. And the free guard zone refers to not being able to remove guards from play until after a certain number of stones have been delivered. In 2018, it was the first four stones. So not until the first four stones had been played could you remove a guard. After the 2018 Olympics, the change was made to the five rock free guard zone. So now you can't remove a guard until after the first five stones are played. And it's really led to more offense in curling since 2018. And we had a chance to speak to Team Kim, one of Team Kim's coaches. We've actually gotten to talk to both of them, but Coach Lim Myung-sup spoke to us before the 2021 World Championships, and he said that that change, that rule change really kind of affected this team, and it may have taken them longer than other teams to adjust to the new rules. It looks like they have started to adjust to the point where it no longer affects their game. So that's something else that you may want to watch for as you know this team between everything they had to go through and the rule change maybe didn't produce the results that we expected coming out of the 2018 Olympics in their silver medal, things have kind of changed for them and changed for them for the better. So that is definitely something to watch for going into the games. Up next is Russia, and they'll be going by ROC at these Olympic games. They are skipped by Alina Kovaleva. And since the 2018 Olympics, they've really established themselves as the premier team in Russia and kind of broke through at last year's Worlds, where they made it all the way to the gold medal game. Uh, their, their trajectory has kind of mirrored uh, Sweden's team Hasselborg and what we saw from them between the 2014 Olympics and then them winning gold in the 2018 Olympics. Yeah, so they're currently the sixth-ranked team in the world, and they've made the playoffs in both Grand Slams and European Curling Championships this season. They also have a pretty good record against the field. So they're 8-6 and six against the other Olympic teams, including two wins over what we'd call one of the pre-tournament favorites, uh, Team Hasselberg. So there's certainly a threat for the medal round and, and certainly, and it's certainly kind of a, a potential team for gold, although perhaps not one of the favorites for the gold medal. I definitely call them a contender to win gold. And, you know, even though they may not have similar to team Japan, even though they may not have a signature victory, they've been at or near the top and 
you know, Team Team Hasselborg from Sweden, they didn't really have that signature win until the 2018 Olympics. We just knew them as a very good team, and then they came through and and, and dominated in in the uh, in the 2018 games. Yeah, so I, I mean, I think as I said, like definitely one of the contenders for sure. Up next is the defending Olympic gold medalist from Pyeongchang, and that is Team Sweden, skipped by Anna Hasselborg. Um, Jonathan, what else can you say about this team? They're 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 the defending gold medalists, and since then they've played amazingly. Yeah, they've had a very strong post Olympic cycle, so they're either winning or at the top of major events like the Grand Slams of curling, the European curling championships. The only thing they haven't won is a world championship, but they've been very close several times. Um, They're currently third-ranked team in the world. Um, In addition to being defending Olympic medal champs, they've probably been the most dominant team on the cash circuit over the last four years. And so they definitely enter the event as co-favorites with Team Terenzoni, who we'll get to in a second. What can we expect from them strategically? Um, they play, so it's kind of interesting. They, they're coached by Wayne Mada, who is like a long time, um, elite curler in Canada. I'd say they play, a, and they've also kind of drawn a lot on the analytics, uh, revolution in curling, which is kind of like by, by the web, the website for that's curlingzone.com. And the kind of guru behind that, the stats guru is Jerry Gertz, who spent a lot of time kind of developing a lot of these mathematical formulas to, to analyze different situations. They used him back in 2018 to propel them to victory. And they, they play a very, I'd say, analytical approach that emphasizes control and kind of using the hammer effectively in order to achieve like a, a very high probability win situation. So the key stat they look at is something called win expectancy. And they, they tend to play perhaps a bit more defensively than a team like uh, Team Jennifer Jones, but they're still playing an aggressive style, but they're very much always calculating what shot's going to give them the most likely opportunity to, to win. So I'd say they're the most analytical team out there. Up next is Team Switzerland, and Team Switzerland is skipped by Silvana Tiranzoni. However, she will not be throwing last rocks for Switzerland. Um, last rocks for Switzerland are thrown by Alina Patz. This team came together after the last Olympics with Team Tiranzoni kind of bringing Alina Patz, who herself was a former world champion, into the mix, and basically this team was brought together for one thing, and that was to win an Olympic gold medal. And while the results on tour and at the Grand Slam events may not be fantastic, um, basically all they do is win worlds. And in fact, they've won the last two women's world championships. Yeah, so this team's very interesting. They And I and think Alina Pats, I'd say, is probably the most clutch thrower if not overall, certainly in the women's game at least, and potentially I'd say overall. Uh, She's won four of the five world championships she's played in. Uh, And three of those four, she's kind of thrown last rock. And and, in two of those four, she's had to make like an amazing shot to do it. And like ice runs through her veins. And this is why they are so dangerous in the big events. Uh, Like you said, like Hasselberg's a bit more of a money tour player and perhaps a bit more consistent. 
but the Swiss team seems to show up when it matters the most. And in the world championships the, the, over this Olympic cycle, they've just been unbeatable, including I think playing what, what was my favorite game of this Olympic cycle was the world championship in, I guess it was 2019 before the pandemic between them. That was just, if you can go find that on YouTube, it's a fantastic game to watch. Uh, and if we're treated to that for an Olympic final, that would be a special treat, something of that caliber. Um, so there, I mean, I think there, there probably enters the co-favorites with Sweden uh, for the gold medal. Definitely a contender. And we will round things out with the United States. And this team is skipped by Tabitha Peterson. However, it is the same team that represented the U.S. in 2018 in Pyeongchang. However, Nina Roth, who skipped that team, is now throwing third stones with Tabitha Peterson skipping. Uh, the switch happened at the start of the 2019-20 season when Roth was expecting her first child. And despite really having never skipped before, this team found a lot of success with Peterson at the helm, and they made the switch permanent when Roth returned to the team. Yep, so they're, they've had a pretty good season. They've posted a 3-2 and two record so far against teams in the, the Olympic field. They won a, a, a large tournament on tour, the, the Curlers Corner Autumn Gold Tournament, early in the season, which has a lot of the kind of top teams in the world competing in it. And they're coming off a breakthrough performance at the 2021 World Championships where they won bronze, and they had a quarterfinals appearance at the Masters Grand Slam tournament. So they're definitely peaking at the right time. They sit at 10th in the Ken Palm rankings, so they're kind of also posting really good results there too. I'll, I'll kind of hedge. I'll say that they're a dark horse for gold, but they're definitely a contender for playoffs. I'd say that's true too. I think they're definitely likely or if not if, if not a threat perhaps even likely to make the medal round but perhaps a step down from the the top two or three teams in this tournament who'd be favorites for gold yeah really just a remarkable field from top to bottom there there is no i mean there's no hiding in the olympics to begin with every game is going to be tough but i mean you look at this field and every single one it's like every single team here expects to be in the playoffs really like goes in expecting to be one of those top four teams so you're going to have really six teams that went in thinking they had a shot that aren't even going to make the middle round yeah yeah for sure it's going to be a tough field it's very equal there's no single clear-cut favorite uh in this event at all yeah it, it's going to be an absolute blast to watch and really the most difficult thing is going to be uh, each draw picking what game I want to watch because <laughs> you're going to be able to see probably all of these games, especially in the U.S. The um, NBC has yet to announce its its coverage schedule, but in the past, every single game was available on the NBC Sports app here in the U.S. I imagine it will be similar, but I imagine all those games will be available on Peacock, which is NBC's streaming service, but you should be able to see every single game. And I imagine the U.S. games will make their way onto, onto broadcast television. We're going to make our picks or we're going to wrap it up? And I can't, I'm not going to make picks, man. I can't pick, I'm not picking this field. <laughs> All right. Man, there's no way. If, you're, if you are gambling on this, I mean, good luck. Really, good luck. Because um, everyone... Everyone has a chance. I would say you're probably going to get 
you're probably going to get good odds on Russia with Kovaleva because I imagine her odds are going to be pretty good compared to how good that team is. So maybe that might be my only gambling advice. <laughs> are you are you a value player when you bet, or are you a uh, you pick the favorites, or are you just like chase the long shots? I'm a I'm a value player for futures, and then for like single game gambling. Like I'll find. I'll find an underdog that I'm pretty sure is going to win, and I'll bet the money line on that. That's kind of the way I do things. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. So you think Kovaleva is the, the value pick here? I haven't seen odds, but yeah, I would say she's probably the value pick. Her or Team Peterson, honestly. Peterson's probably going to be a value pick as well, because I bet that they're going to be like seventh in odds, sixth or seventh in terms of the, the, the odds. There's no money to be made in betting on Canada at all because it's similar to like it's similar to like Notre Dame in college football. Like from a gambling perspective, there's so many people who bet on Notre Dame because they're huge Notre Dame fans and they like wasting their money. The same thing is going to be on Canada. Canada is going to have minuscule odds because they're going to see so much action from everyone betting on Canada because they're the big names. There's no value in betting on them, even though they're one of the Definitely one of the favorites. I think Team Kim might be the value pick. Okay. And I, I guess it depends if the odds makers go back and look at the last Olympics. I, I don't know what they do because I've you know sometimes I've seen things like Sports Illustrated's curling preview. It's clear they don't know anything. They just go like they just either go the, the previous the the order of the previous World Championship or they just go Canada's good. We'll pick them. Right, but if the odds makers aren't looking at the last Olympics, I think Team Kim might be your value pick. Okay, so that does it for our women's Olympic preview. You'll also see mixed doubles previews and men's previews on your feed. Please go check those out and enjoy the Olympics, everyone. Thank you for listening to Rocks Across the Pond, a curling podcast. If you enjoyed this show, we ask you to please leave a review or tell a friend about us. Your referrals to friends and family are the greatest compliment we can receive and is what allows our show to grow and share our love of this great game. You can find all of our past shows and blog posts at rocksacrossthepond.com. If you have a question or comment, you can reach us at rocksacrossthepond at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to us, and we will talk to you again real soon.